I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzik, and today I'm joined by a special guest, a legend within the sales industry, a mentor to Jason Hornady himself, and a, a good friend of the Hornady Company. So please join me in welcoming Charlie Duncan to the podcast. Charlie, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here. So I mentioned a lot of those accolades in the, in the intro there, but they're all true. Uh, Jason Hornady uh, has many times mentioned you as one of his three mentors in his life, a former employer, uh, and you've been a friend of Hornady going back many, many years, back, in fact, to what we talked about earlier, June of 1968, maybe earlier than that. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the relationship, talk about what you do, and what sales looks like in the outdoor industry, because not everyone understands the distribution model of we are a manufacturer and there's a retailer that's got our product on the shelf, but how did it get there? And that's really where, where you and your company come in and, and help facilitate that, not just for Hornady, but for a bunch of different companies. And like I said, we're going to talk all about that because you own one of those companies. And well, I want to talk about how that started. But before we get there, we have to know about Charlie Duncan years ago. Tell us about where you grew up, kind of when you grew up, and what you were doing, and what got you in the outdoors. Well, um, I grew up on a small farm um, in central Alabama, and uh, I had the opportunity to see things and work hard from a very early age. When I was five years old, our family had gone in debt for seed and fertilizer and planted the biggest crop they'd ever planted. And on August 18th of that year, the little river that came through our neighborhood reached the second highest crest that it ever reached. And everything we had went down the river. There was no insurance. There was no insurance. There was no government subsidy. There was nothing. There was not an ear of corn to feed the cows or the horses or the mules that you work with. So... You know, for your whole family had to work from an early age and and, and figure out how to to survive. And uh, uh, when uh, I was fairly young, my father became fairly significantly ill from overwork, really, because of that. Mm. And uh, he really worked himself into the dirt, as we say. And as a result, I had to go to school and run the farm. I took over the farm when I was 13 years old. and uh, That's a heavy burden for, and, for a young boy. And uh, I did the farm and went to school a little bit. You couldn't, you couldn't do now what we did then mm-hmm. and get by with it, but you learned how to work. I bet you did. And, uh, you know, uh, the uh, high school principal, we, we lived about a mile from the school. So the high school principal, when I was in the ninth grade, eighth grade, wanted uh, gave me the opportunity to uh, be the school janitor, and that entailed uh, uh, sweeping the halls in the, uh, either, either in the afternoon. But generally, I did it early morning. I'd get up three thirty in the morning, go down, sweep the halls, clean the bathrooms, and in the winter, I would uh, 
uh, build a fire in the furnace, and, and then later on we went to a, an oil-based furnace instead of coal. And I, all I had to do was go down and turn a the thermostat up. So, <laughs> so, so it got a lot easier. And then after that, I was in the military, and I got out of the military and went to work for a wholesale grocery company. I mean, a wholesale uh, hardware company. And, okay. And I was a sporting goods buyer. And then from there, I went to work in 1960 for a rep group. And uh, a year and a half down the road, he said, hey, I don't want to work as hard as you do. Uh, why don't you take this thing and run it? And that's really how I got to where I am. And he's just, uh, and he basically, uh, guy name was Joe Lewis. And uh, uh, he kind of backed out and let me run it. And then later I bought him out. And it's been a fun trip. The, the business has changed so much. Uh, you know, back sure. then it was it was purely wholesalers, and uh, it, it's it's changed and continuing to change. Okay. And but it's it's all about one thing, and that's getting the Hornady product to the consumer. Yeah. And uh, and 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 it's of course yours and Hornady's job to help create the demand, and 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 it's for us. Our job is to get it on the shelf. And and help do the promotions and make the retailer get the retailer as educated as we can on our product. Absolutely. Well, so in just a couple minutes there, you spanned a lot of years. To go back to your early years, I cannot imagine being that young watching everything your family's ever had washed down a river. And do you want to talk about work ethic to to battle back from that? Go to school, run the farm, and still try to be a kid at some level. Uh, that is remarkable, and I can't imagine, I mean, that had to shape you and change the whole trajectory of your life. Uh, to go back just a little bit, to give us a frame of reference, uh, what kind of years are we looking at? Like, what year would you have graduated high school? 1952, 53. And then right out of high school, number come up in the draft, I'm guessing? Uh, it did, and uh, I, I was in the military for three years. and uh, In the Army? Yes, in the in the good old infantry. In and, the infantry. Uh, and got reassigned and sent to Alaska and spent uh, uh, spent about a year in Alaska on the dew line okay. uh, radar sites. So this is a, yeah, maybe a, a loaded question, but did going to the Army and getting your, you know, your three meals and your four to six hours of sleep guaranteed every night, did that uh, feel like a vacation coming off the farm and, and working like that? You know, I enjoyed the military. Sure. The military, and, and I will say this, the military was really good for me. Okay. The discipline, and, and, and I wound up in, in, the, in the early part of the, my military as a PT and judo instructor. And uh, it, it, was, it was a good experience for me, and, and I had to grow up fast. And uh, it, it, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, came very close to staying in the military. Really? Yeah. And uh, I, I got... I was at Fort, stationed at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and the G3 came, had an inspection of one of my judo classes, and I got a perfect 100 on it, the only 100 they'd ever given. So as a result, I got to go meet the commanding general, and he, they wanted to do a recruiting brochure on me. So they sent me back home and uh, changed my MOS and said, you will, be, you will stay at Fort Jackson the rest of your Army career. Well, little did we both know that uh, just a few months after that, I got a direct assignment from Washington filling a slot 
on an engineering outfit going to Alaska that even the commanding general couldn't get me off of <laughs> or didn't get me off yeah. of. So as a result, I went to Alaska and came back and then came back home and uh, went to work for the wholesale hardware company. And then, Okay. And, I, you know, again, I enjoyed the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the military was good for me. And uh, then uh, so much of what you do, as you know, most of kids come out of school today. So many of them don't know what they want to do. But somewhere along the line, they've got to w- learn a work ethic. Yeah, that's probably more important than what you want to do. That's correct. That's how you're going to do it. And, uh, you know, I tell the story a lot of, lots of times about a high school young kid that was uh, – uh, ran around with my grandchildren, and uh, uh, he made very poor grades. And uh, he was almost like an adopted son. He calls me Papa, so uh, uh, he wanted to go to a particular school. He couldn't get in because of grades. Goes to a junior college. And uh, he and I were sitting on a deer stand hunting in January of that year, and I said, how is your grades? And he says, I flunked every course. And I said, Bubba, you're going to be just like a certain guy working on a farm at an hourly wage. I said, his car's broke down. His children don't have shoes. He's hungry. They're hungry. And you're going to be just like that unless you go back and get your in gear. Mm-hmm. He goes back home and makes straight A's the next quarter. Transferred to the University of Alabama and made the dean's list every quarter there. So it's a matter of want to. Yeah, somebody's got to kick it in gear. Yeah, so that's the lesson to young people is is a work ethic and want to. Yeah. So coming out of the out of the military, you obviously had discipline, you had the work ethic, you had the want to. What drove you into sales? Was it just a job opportunity, or did you actively pursue getting into that sales role? I, I was a sporting goods buyer, and and I wanted on the sales side. Okay. And uh, I was the youngest. There was 40-something buyers in our purchasing department of the company. And uh, I really wanted on the sales side. And I went to my boss and told him what I wanted to do. And he says, fine, I'll support you on anything you want to do. And, and I went to work for another rep, and that other rep, and that's Joe Lewis. And that's how I got Okay. In. So those rep groups that we're talking about, and you started early in there in the, in the 60s, uh, to fill our listeners in, basically the manufacturer manufactures the product. And this rep group will help sell the product to the the dealer distributor. Yeah, it's our responsibility to get it to the back then. It was to the distributor, and it's our responsibility to make sure it gets on the shelf. Awesome. Okay, so you started working there. You said you were young in the industry. What was that like? Uh, what was the the scope of the industry like? You know, what were some of the big brands at the time, and maybe some of the bigger uh, distributors or uh, dealers at the time, you know, I think of dealers like uh, we've seen Kmart, for example, kind of be huge and then, yeah, now be uh, out of business. What were some of the big dealers and what were some of the big brands in the industry at that time? Well, the big brands were Remington Winchester. Sure. And, uh, and, and of course, Brownie. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, they, there's none of, the, none of the distributors are still in business today. Uh, as an example, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, I think we had 14 distributors. None of them are in business today. Okay. And uh, this is the evolution of how distribution of getting. The whole model is, 
is and it will always evolve. How do you get the product to the consumer the cheapest? Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's cutting. It's the distributors that are there are huge, most of them, mm-hmm. and and it's a matter of the economics of a large distributor with a large volume working on a small smaller margin than they used to. So, at what point did you get involved with Hornady? And as you got involved, you know, repping their products, what was your perception of the company? Um, we got offered the opportunity at the NRA show. And Hornady had a very high reputation in the industry. Though I, me at that time, or none of us had any idea how little it was, how small it was. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the volume was... Yeah, that's small, <laughs> and uh, it, but but they had a, a great reputation. Okay, and and that was the reputation of Joyce, and and Joyce had a superb reputation all, all of his life. And uh, yeah, so what was uh, Joyce Hornady like in those early days when you got to work with Hornady? Uh, you know, very low key, very quiet. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what he, what he said made sense. Okay. Uh it was very sound in his in and and uh didn't talk a lot, but very quiet and uh but very sound and and again had a super re- reputation. That's that's good to hear and that you know, as I've talked to some people that personally knew Joyce over the years, um that same trend is he was conservative, quiet, very sound, not easily excitable, very level headed, and I suppose those traits really helped early on with the reputation. And, and had that reputation from the very beginning of making a very precise product. Mm-hmm. So I guess we didn't talk about that in your early days. Did you grow up, I'm, I'm assuming hunting was a, a necessity if you were trying to eat and feed people? Well, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you're growing up on a farm in that era, uh, that's the year after the flood. Uh, let's face it, you... Didn't have anything left to eat. You didn't have the money to go to the store, so uh, you depended on wildlife for, for sure. a good portion of your food. Absolutely, had to. So, grew yeah. up, grown up, uh, probably fishing and, and hunting out of fishing, necessity. Fishing and hunting, yeah. And uh, I'm guessing you kept that passion, or was it a necessity? So, when you were traveling around, no, no, I, st- I still love it. I still enjoy it. Uh, Excellent. And uh, you know, and, and but I got away from most of my hunting. For a number of years in the business, and and very honestly, I if it hadn't been for Steve, I wouldn't have gotten into much more hunting. Uh, Steve called the office one day, and my wife w- was there and answered the phone and says, uh, uh, "This was way forward in '93," and says, uh, uh, I, I, "I was on the phone, so she chit chatted with Steve a minute, and she asked Steve what was he doing." He said. Exciting, and he said he was going to elk hunting. And uh, mm-hmm. he says, She said, uh, Well, why don't you take Charlie? And she said, I tried to, but he won't go with me. She asked Steve, said, How much was the hunt? And she told him, and She said, I'll send you the check, and he'll have to go. <laughs> True story. And so she sent the check, and I went, and I, 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 I appreciate it and have enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. 
That, that is an interesting story and, and glad you got back into it. But that's an interesting perspective. You know, a lot of us hunt for, for the enjoyment, for the passion. Yeah. We've been doing it our whole lives. And as my generation and those below us, hunting becomes very much less of a necessity. Right. Um, All and, of us today. You, you've, you've seen that from both sides right. now. So that's pretty amazing. So going back into those early days, you get involved to, to represent Hornady products. Did you work directly with Joyce, or was there a sales manager? Was the company small enough that it was? It you? was Joyce. How about that? Yeah, it was Joyce. And, and the company was infinitely small. And, yeah. uh, so, Charlie, throughout the 1970s, you, know, you, you picked up Hornady in 1968, repping their products. And throughout the 70s, did you see a lot of growth? Um, from a new product standpoint, the 70s, we had you know, the inner groove, now our inner lock bullet. And we helped, you know, pioneer that secant ogive on the bullets that's so popular now. Um, what did you see growth in the 1970s? Was it really rapid or, or no. pretty steady? It was slow. Slow? Okay. Slow, slow and steady. <clears throat> Got to remember, we represented them at that time in the southeastern states only. And reloading was nothing there. Okay. And uh, uh, it grew very slowly. Mm-hmm. And, and that. Now, and then we picked up the Southwest, and, and reloading was a lot bigger in Texas. And, uh, and, and then it, it spread there and it's grown until today. Reloading is uh, significant in the Southeast. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, talking to uh, uh, Kenny Berger, he was talking how when Joyce was making bullets, really the, the, the goal for him was, I'm shooting prairie dogs, and sometimes they're pretty far away, and they're a little target. I need to make an accurate bullet. And so the hand-loading community, I think in the early days, may have been more for the predator and the, yes. the varmint shooting. Yes. And in the southeast, probably not so many prairie dogs down there. Not any. Yeah, right. So for the medium-sized game hunting, you would mentioned some big names, Remington and right. Winchester. They kind of had, uh, had their foot in the door. So... How did the frontier ammunition line fit into that category? A very, very distant. Uh, well, it, it was a distant third, but again, uh, you know, you're a salesman, mm-hmm. and the only way you make a living is getting your product sold. And it was a matter of getting your product on the shelf. And the frontier comes along on the ammunition, and and we made some inroads, and uh, not huge. Right. Slow and, and steady growth. Slow and steady growth. What did they change in the ammunition business as they developed the new bullets? Sure. And Hornaday is a bullet company, not an ammunition company. A hundred percent. That makes the company right there. But the bullets, nobody else can do what they do on bullets. As you go back and look over the years, they have developed this series of bullets to fit this need and fit it to the T. Then this to fit a particular need. And today, they have developed from A to Z the complete bullet category. And again, there's nobody else in the world that does in bullets what they do. And, you know, anybody can load ammunition, but they can't anybody copy them on bullets. Right. That's, uh, those are uh, big compliments and ones we take serious because I feel like between Jason and Steve Hornady, we hear it all the time. The bullets make the H. We the, are we. The nobody hangs with our stuff for bullets. Yes, yes. And that's that is uh, yeah high high praise because and we take it very seriously. So going into the the eighties, 
things are looking up for the company. And as as history has it, and as we know, tragedy uh, tragedy strikes at the 1981 Shot Show. And tell us about that time and that experience, and how obviously that how devastating that was, but how you saw Steve uh, Steve specifically and Marvel handle that situation. Well. Uh, the sales manager and myself went to the airport to pick up, and we were standing at the gate, and we heard him say, uh, Apache so-and-so, tail number down short of the runway. And I heard it very clearly. And I listened, and about that time, you see uh, fire trucks and emergency lights moving, and you walk, and we waited a few minutes and walked up to the gate and asked him, and they said yes. And we stayed there another 30 minutes, and. Uh, and they told you there were no survivors. And then we went back to the hotel and told the rest of the family. And, of course, they left and came home, mm-hmm. the rest of the company. And uh, Jim DeVere was a rep on the West Coast, and he and I packed our bags and came to Grand Island and uh, stayed several days for the memorial service. And, and uh, you know, you're— uh, Steve was very young, and you really didn't have a clue mm-hmm. uh, of what was going to happen. And uh, the cream always rises to the top. And uh, uh, I think it's a it's a great example of given opportunity how good some people can do. And Steve was given the opportunity, and he came to the top like a yeoman. Between he and Marvel, the company has done, and, and you don't want to compare, mm-hmm. but uh, but he has he has done such a fantastic job. Uh, he's he is so firm in what he, his commitment, and his commitment is that of making the best product that can be made in that category. Period, and and that's his passion. You know, it, it's not very many people that get the opportunity for their hobby, their passion, their vocation, all being the same. Mm-hmm. And that's the case with the family, whether it be Joyce or Jason or Steve. Their business was their hobby, their passion, and it was their livelihood. And that just happens so seldom. And that's a recipe for success. That is a that's a recipe for success in spades. Yeah. Yeah. So you saw Steve uh, take charge of the company as a young man who didn't know exactly what to do. Obviously, Marvel obviously stepped in and, and did a phenomenal job as well. And one thing that I admire, and I don't know this for a fact, but I would speculate that there had to be at least some temptation to sell the company, a successful company. There could have been buyers lined up to buy it. And they didn't. And they remained family-owned. Not only did they remain family-owned, in the 80s, we saw some pretty significant product development start to, to take place. Um, you know, the XTP bullet, for example, our, our pistol bullet um, that just performed wonderfully. It was a great self-defense bullet, a great law enforcement bullet. Um, and we saw the company grow in size with a number of employees, some square footage. And like you had mentioned, Steve did a great job of guiding that. Steve did a great job of gu- guiding it, and and 
you know, you walk through the plant, whether it be back then in those days, and, and Steve is thinking about one thing. How do I get more out? How do I get more out? How do I get more out? Uh, I need more equipment. I need this. And it's, uh, uh, I went through the plant with him yesterday, and it, he is so excited to show me the new equipment and how fast it is operated compared to some old equipment that he had. And it's, yeah, it, it is exciting to see how passionate he was then and, how, and committed and how passionate he is today. You know, you're right. I, I'm sure they could have, could have sold the company, but uh, the combination of he and his mother, Marvel, uh, was great at that time. I mean, she had the, the wisdom, and she had worked there before, and uh, uh, and, uh, and and Steve was so unshakable. Uh, you know, he was so committed, so unshakable, and. Uh, just the right he was the right person for the right time yep yep and that being unshakable was probably a character trait that he luckily had because i can't imagine the stress of having however many employees we have at that time that are dependent on you for their livelihood their paycheck they're you know making the products and uh they're looking at you now mm -hmm. and uh, that had to be incredibly stressful so we've got some growth in the 80s and and steve kind of guiding that and assembling a, an engineering staff to help with some of these new product developments. And as we, as we get into the late eighties and early nineties, you talked about new equipment and what we got into in the late eighties and early nineties was making our own cartridge cases. What a pivotal, pivotal moment for Hornady manufacturing because we went from purchasing brass from a third party to now manufacturing our own products how did that help you as a salesman get our ammo in into more places was it the volume was it you know a lot of people say you open a box of hornady ammo and it looks like jewelry well you know you remember that little bitty facility that they had where they made brace i mean it was tiny mm -hmm. compared to today and and you marvel at uh how committed they were at that time uh and they and to begin with they made such a small a portion of the total am, uh, brass that they used, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and and they do the thing that nobody else does. Uh, if uh, you know, we get blims that we use. Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing wrong with them. The hand inspection process. The hand inspection process to to make it look like a piece of jewelry when it comes off the line is 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 something that nobody else does, and uh, it's it's just that pride of making the best and it being the best. That's, can't say it any better than that. So you take that, we now are making our own cartridge cases, early 90s, enter senior ballistician Dave Emery. And you want to talk about hitting things out of the park, employing Dave Emery as a ballistic scientist and then giving him the, the freedom to really explore things uh, the 17 HMR. Oh, you, you nailed it. I was going to say VMAX bullets, so polymer-tipped yeah. bullets, 17 HMR, 204 Ruger, right. 308, 338 Marlin right. Express, Superformance, right. Lev Revolution. Right. I mean, it was just home run after home right. run after home run. So repping our products throughout Dave Emery's career, it just seemed like he was developing products with the engineering staff at such a rate 
did you see it on the sales side? Like we were starting to really make headway as far as taking oh, market yeah. share oh, goes. Yeah. What was it like representing a company that was slow and steady growth to now like a rocket sled? Well, that's what you look forward to in sales. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, again, I, 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 you know, you, it puts you in a different perspective with the customer. You are as important to a customer as you bring him opportunity to make money. And you bring him something like this 17 HMR that you, he knows is, if I get it in today, it's probably going to sell off my shelf tomorrow at a full margin. That's a home run. Yeah. Because he's making money. And that, that's the key. And, and, you know, everybody in this system has to, to make a, a decent living off of it or it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, and those were the things that they brought that, how many years it took us several years to get caught up on the 17 HMR. The other thing it did for the industry, at the time that we introduced it, the long gun business was soft. You went through multiple years of the gun business, gun, the, the manufacturing of guns, whether it be Ruger or Savage or whomever, they couldn't make enough of the 17 HMR rifle. And, uh, you know, th- those are the things that make you in the, in the industry, again, is making things that the consumer wants. Mm-hmm. The consumer comes in asking for the big H. And, and yeah, the, the 17 was a big deal. And, yeah. And we got to thank Dave Emery for it. Yeah, it swept the nation. And as the story goes, he almost lost a job over it. But, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but luckily for all of us, uh, the 17 HMR and the 17 Mach 2, Still to this day, I mean, it's just one of the funnest little cartridges. It is. Everybody have, has to have one or two. I think I must have a half a dozen 17 rifles. Yeah. you can. I mean, anything from, you know, close-range coyotes, prey dogs, uh, yeah, squirrels, rabbits. Perfect little cartridge. So, you know, you saw the company really change over the, you know, you go from the 60s to present day. And as an important note, you're 90 years old. And still not retired, so still, still, uh, still repping Hornady products. So we appreciate that. You saw this company change from what it was in the late '60s to current day. And when you look back on it, um, what has what stands out to you about the family, about the company, and about the business of just being a you know a rep a rep group? Well, uh, you know, a, a rep group can only be as good as the manufacturer he is attached to. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been the case here. It's, it's been an opportunity. It's been fun. It's been fun. It's been fun people to work with. Awesome. And uh, that's, that's really the, one of the things that has made it. And, you know, by doing that, it makes you work harder for that particular entity. I mean, it, uh, they've, they've been a, a fun company from day one. And, uh, you know, I, I used to kind of get amazed at Steve. It, Steve, as he began to grow into the business, did not seem to like to get up in front of a group and speak. Mm-hmm. But he was so doggone good at it. Yeah, I mean, he spoke with so much authority, and he was so doggone good at it. That that you are you're just delighted to see him develop and become the really the 
good speaker he is today. Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, we're going to go back a little bit now, kind of retrace our steps here. We talked a lot about the industry and the products. And one thing that I want to, to go back on is you were with uh, Hornady for so long. You've had to see Jason, Jason Hornady, as a child, as a youngster, as a college age kid. What did uh, what was Jason like growing up that you remember? Did you have any interactions with him? You know, I didn't have a lot of interaction okay. with Jason until he uh, uh, until he was uh, got out of college. Okay. What did the out of college? Uh, yeah. How did you get involved there? Well, he went to work for Kenny Berger. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had bear archery, and we had bear archery. We went to a bear archery sales meeting, and uh, this young kid uh, gets almost every award at the sales meeting. And it's not hard to see that, you know, this kid's got something on the ball. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got back, and I called him and talked to him a couple of times. And, I mean, he uh, he just had it. Some people are really cut out for in sales, and he he had sales in spades, and uh, just as this was this was in August September. Just a couple of months later, uh, we were working with uh, another company, and uh, they were looking for a sales manager, and and I called Jason and recommended it, and he went to that company as sales manager. Okay, and did a. Fantastic job, as you would expect. And uh, we, we as a rep group, worked Cabela's. Okay. And uh, we were, I was looking for somebody to take over Cabela's. That's a big account, or had to be. Well, it was, it, it was a bigger, it was a good account then. It wasn't nearly as good as it was after Jason got it. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Jason came to work for, for the Duncan Lewis right. group. And and did a, did a lot of things. He he worked some other accounts, but his his bigger thing was. And then he settled down to working nothing but Cabela's. And uh, oh yeah, he uh, I mean he doubled the volume in one year. I mean, how do you? Whoa! Yeah. Doubled the Cabela's volume in one yeah, year with us. Yes, and uh, you know he it, in that situation, Jason didn't know the word no. Okay. If A didn't work, he'd find B to make it work. And, uh, you know, you love it. I, I, it was a fun experience for me because uh, I talked to Jason every day he was with us. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, anybody that in, in was in my position at that time really liked to talk to somebody that was getting it done, really enthused about what he was doing, and fun Get to you on the phone and tell you what he has done. Yeah, and uh, it it was a it was a great experience for me and and fun and you know you knew all the time he was going back to Horn Day and yep and uh, and uh, so it time went by so fast. How long did you have him? Uh, Eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah, and uh, handling a, a an account like Cabela's, who you know in the early nineties, mid nineties, was probably you know was the foremost outfitter, they were big, but then, you know, fast forward just a few years, uh, you start getting into online sales in the early 2000s and uh, growing rapidly more stores all over the country. And what a wild ride that what, had to what be. What a wild ride it was. And, you know, he was right on top of it. And it was a case where everyone there thought so much of him. Mm-hmm. They trusted him so. 
Yeah. And, and um, that's a large portion of being successful in, in sales is, is the people you're working with uh, trust you and have respect for you. Uh, but at the same time, you're bringing them products that, that they can do they can well. Make money on. Yeah. yeah, make money on. And, uh, you know, everyone is going to have a, something that's going to screw up. But if they trust you and have confidence in you, you're going to get an opportunity to fix it. Where if you're just another person, sometimes you don't get that chance. But if, the, if you have the work ethic, the that, character, they trust you. That's right. You, you're going to get a chance to fix it. So Awesome. Well, you mentioned, Jason, you knew he was coming back to Hornady eventually, likely. He had a, a, a good career going. What, did, uh, what was that transition like uh, from your perspective of Jason uh, coming back to work for Hornady in 2006? It, it was still fun. Uh, you know, you, you liked it. You enjoyed having him on this side of the fence. Uh, and, and again, he was the one that took sales and put the rocket to it and, yeah. uh, and ignited the rocket. And uh, uh, Jason enjoys being in front of a customer. He does indeed. And he loves it. And uh, he's good at it. And, and the combination of, you know, he and the, his sales manager has been a great combination. Uh, and he's good at detail. He's good at computer, mm -hmm. good at technology. So uh, sales has changed so much until today with Hornady, as many SKUs as they have. It's, it's really about analyzing and analyzing and analyzing data. And uh, uh, when Jason worked with us, we had a fairly simple sales tool that, that gave us a recap monthly as to our volume by customer by brand. When Jason came back to Hornady, he took that same basic format and instituted a program at Hornady so that we as a rep can see by SKU at 8 o'clock tonight, everything was shipped to customer. In other words, if I'm responsible for customer A, I can see exactly what's shipped today, mm -hmm. and I can let my customer know this is on the way. Uh, it's, it's the, it is the best sales tool in the business, and it was put together strictly by Jason because he'd been on the sales side and knew what a salesperson needed. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, it was a perfect blend. So. Yeah, and that really justifies, you know, it's been talked about a lot that Steve wasn't going to let Jason come to work for Hornady unless he'd gotten some, you know, work experience outside of the industry. And Jason has that same set of rules for his kids as well. But that really shows why that's important because you get to see a little bit more of the, of the industry. Jason is a better fit at Hornady mm -hmm. for having worked outside and understanding sales. And he understands sales better than most people in the business. Mm -hmm. Those are yeah, big compliments. And like you said, he put the rocket on it. You yep. know, as soon as he came on board in 2006, in very short order, uh, obviously you, you talked about the, the program that he instituted that helps the sales rep work with the company. And one of Jason and Steve's 
biggest things is they want to be easy to work with. Yep. And if you're easy to work with and people trust you, you're just, you're going to do more business. And so that was huge. Then you look on the product side, you've got critical defense, critical duty, the ELD match, the ELDX bullet, uh, the ATIP match bullet, the new CX bullet. You've got all these amazing products that are just uh, light years ahead of where we used to be as far as, as, far as technology goes. And they're in, your reps are now in a better position to sell them. Well, yeah, you're looking for a product that performs. Mm-hmm. And the product is going to perform a little bit better for the specific market it was created for. And, and there is a difference. And they have created the product that, that has the difference. Look at our new match bullet. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, everybody loves it. Uh, look at the new record it was just set. And, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, that's the, you're shooting distances that are made up, you know, with these new A-tip bullets like you referenced, yeah. you know. Uh, the Hornady A-tip bullet holds the top three longest shots that have been fired and confirmed in competition. And uh, just recently here, we had an impact at 4.2 miles, or 2.4 miles, excuse me, uh, 2.4 miles, 4,227 yards. That's, you just as well said 400 million yards because yeah, yeah. that's so far away in the product. Yeah, and, and that couldn't have and, and that could not have begun to be to, to happened mm-hmm. a few years ago, right? So when you look back on a career that spans so many years with with Hornady and just in the in the outdoor industry, what do you think Joyce Hornady would have to say to Jason and Steve in 2023 about the product line and where the company has grown to and what our future looks like? Wow. I, yeah. Man, a few words. Man, a few He'd say, wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, I've asked that question to a few folks and they all have similar answers that it's, you probably would have just been astounded. And what's really astounding, we have a lot of new equipment, a lot of new machines. We also have a lot of old machines. And there are plenty of our bullet presses today that are Waterbury Feral Transfer Presses. That, that Joyce would have helped purchase himself. Mm-hmm. And press number one is still making bullets today. And uh, that, that says a lot about our maintenance crew and our engineering team to keep these machines set up, running, making better products than they've ever made, and making volumes of product that I don't think anybody thought was possible. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty remarkable. It is. So I mentioned you had such, you know, this career starting in the 60s, working uh, uh, and, and going to present day. I asked this question to Kenny Berger as well. You rep a lot of different companies, not just Hornady. So of all these companies, what's the biggest sales order you've ever written? Well, since it's got to where there's a big volume, I personally don't write many sure. orders. But uh, I was, I don't know that I can answer that. Yeah. Uh, a sure. few years ago, we wrote an order for many millions of dollars, knowing that it would never be delivered because of the outlandish quantities. That, but they wanted it. Mm-hmm. The want was there. Yeah. And uh, I don't really know that I have. I, I don't. I don't have an answer. On I'll that. tell you, uh, uh, Kenny Berger's answer just uh, for conversation. He said when uh, Humminbird was 
uh, really fresh on the scene in 1987, I believe, he wrote a $15 million order for hummingbirds, which in 1987, the buying power of $15 million was the equivalent of, we looked it up yesterday, 35 or 40 million yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah. And I think I bring that up because I don't think our consumer that goes to the store and buys our product quite fully understands the volume of orders going in for all of the outdoor products so that it ends up in the store ready for them to purchase. Multi-million dollar orders are not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think you guys, as the, as the rep group, probably don't get the, the praise that you get because there's a lot of people that buy products on the shelf that don't know you guys exist. I and you guys are the person that gets it there. That doesn't bother me at all. Doesn't bother you at all. Awesome. Well, on behalf of everybody who grew up hunting and shooting and is currently hunting and shooting now that is buying product on the shelf, thanks for all the hard yeah. work that you and your team have done yeah. over the years because it's, it's been changing for the company. Obviously, we wouldn't be the size that we are today without people like you getting the product out there for us. Well, it's, it's not me. It's our team. Yeah. It's, uh, it's our, all the people on the field that, with the feet on the ground every day. Yep. Well, and I think that and behind the computer, right? Yeah. Now I think that that's something that as a manufacturer, you, you seek out moving your products through a rep group one, because it would be really cost prohibitive to hire direct salesmen like that. But two, what you're paying for is those, the network and the connections yeah. and the relationships yeah. that you and your team have made over the years. Yeah. We have, um, Six, seven people that have worked for us a lifetime and retired. And, uh, wow. And, uh, and so we have had a very stable employment mm-hmm. for a long time. And uh, very seldom does someone come to work for us and leave. But it's not us. Mm-hmm. It's the factories that, that's the important factor. Sure. And, and they're the ones that make it fun, and they're the ones that make it possible. And uh, so it's the factors that are do the credit. Awesome. Well, to, to kind of wrap this up, you know, you've been in the industry, you know, over six decades now. What's the, what's the overarching thought about a career in sales as it relates to the industry? How do you feel after, after this many years of, of hard work, dedication, doing something that you're passionate about? It, it was a perfect fit for me, and and I enjoyed it every day. I can I can truthfully say that I still get up in the morning excited about what we can get done for Hornady. And again, it's about working with fun people. Mm-hmm. It's you say that over and over, but it's this. But it's, it's the truth. It is the truth. You know, they, they're going to bring you a new product. They're going to bring you something exciting. They're going to bring you something that outperforms that, that's already on the market. And it's fun to go tell that story and get that information out. Awesome. Well, Charlie, I appreciate you sitting down and, and sharing all that stuff with me, sharing your, your, your history and, and your professional history. And like I said, on behalf of Hornady and everybody that's ever bought our products, thanks for you and what your company does for us. Okay. Everybody, hopefully you enjoyed this talk with Charlie Duncan, somebody that's helped us out tremendously. I know I've learned a lot. We appreciate it. We'll catch you on the next one.